Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you so much for tuning in. You are the remnant of truth proclaimers and defenders, and we thank you that we can encourage one another. We can be blessed by your prayers and uh, let us know how we can pray for you. You can always send us an email, comments at standupforthetruth.com. We appreciate you guys so very much, and uh, you know God is doing it. God's doing the work getting us out there, but I want to mention a lot of people have been looking for good resources and places to get truth and fair, balanced commentary, plus biblical worldview, teachings, and ministries. We've got them. Over 200 resources on our website on one page. It's called Resources. <laughs> it's at the top. Go to the top of StandUpForTheTruth.com. Click on Resources, and you'll find them. You can trust them, and uh, if you have any other suggestions, I think we're way over 200 now. We keep adding to it. We just updated that page last week. Over 200 resources you can trust. So remember to check that out. Plus, uh, since we've got a guest the full hour today, I've got to just um, mention a few headlines. We won't be able to elaborate, but these are just some things that are going on, things for you to look up. Uh, you can check out the uh, Harbinger's Daily site for recent uh, biblical worldview issues and news. That's harbingersdaily.com. Uh, VAERS sent out the most recent uh, vaccine adverse event reports. Um, we're over um, about, well, at the minimal, thir- around 30,000 deaths due to the COVID vaccine that you will not hear about in the media. 155,000 hospitalizations, uh, 192,000 doctor office visits, and uh, 128, 29,000 urgent care visits due to the vaccine. All right, so you keep up with that. Uh, FDA authorized a Pfizer booster for kids ages 5 to 11. How did they do that? They bypassed an advisory panel. So the FDA, are they on your side or not? I think you know the answer to that. Uh, Washington, D.C. elementary school asks four-year-olds to identify racist family members. That's right. This is what they're teaching to the youngest of kids. And uh, Ken Ham wrote an article on that. That one's also over at Harbinger's Daily. Um, Washington Times, 87% of American voters want corporations out of politics. That's surprising. Um, And over at American Family Network, uh, American Family News, Black Lives Matter has $42 million in assets. They finally, I think it was the Freedom of Information Act, they had to release their uh, whatever, their information, and uh, $42 million in assets. Do you think that money went to the inner cities to help black people, the black community, those who are struggling and hurting? No. So there you have it. So Christians that are still on the fence, whether you should support the Marxist-driven BLM, please look up information on that. And a couple more. I think we already talked about this one. Andrew Brunson, uh, who was a prisoner, Um, over in Turkey, I believe. He says the majority of believers are not ready for the pressures of persecution. And he's experienced it. And it's coming to America, friends. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Plus, that new poll will dive into a little bit more on the lack of biblical worldview among pastors, and especially children's pastors. But I want to jump into our podcast with our guest. I want to quote Charles Spurgeon because we're talking about discernment today. And uh, we're talking about compromise, apostasy, worldview issues, very important to the church in America. Charles Spurgeon said, Discernment is not a matter of knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Well, today's guest, we've had him on in the past, Don Vino, is back with us, Midwest Christian Outreach. You can get more information at midwestoutreach.org. It's an evangelical and apologetics-driven ministry that he and his wife, Joy, founded in 1995. Don Vino, welcome back to the podcast, brother. 
It's good to be back. Yeah, good. And I'm glad you're I'm glad you're having me because now I can tell everybody I have been had by David Fiorazzo. <laughs> You've been here before. You're no uh, rookie to the podcast, but it's yeah, it's 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 just it's been crazy you're just trying to keep up with every everybody and all that's going on and uh, you know a lot of pastors busy schedules and uh, you uh, you are actually filling the pulpit uh, and the interim pastor over at Crossroads Church. You're, you live in Illinois. But you drive up to Crossroads Church. You preach there on Sundays. That's in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Um, tell us a little bit about that. How it's going? <laughs> so I see someone's calling about that. Well, how, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, it's it has been uh, it's been really interesting. As one of our supporting churches, as you know, we're missionaries to cults and non-Christian religions. Mm. We pick on pretty much everybody, um, and uh, they went through a bit of a difficult stretch mm-hmm. uh and uh their pastor was leaving and uh so they had asked me to kind of fill in for a, a, about a month uh and uh, so i went through uh, basically four topics in the month of february which was uh um the role of the pastor the biblical role of the pastor uh and he only has really two assigned tasks biblically which is one guard the flock and mm-hmm. that is from infiltrators from the outside and false teachers rising up within pretty simple acts 20 28 and following the second is to teach the word and disciple the people that's his two tasks whatever else he might do he might do but that's the two tasks the second week i dealt with um uh conflict resolution within the church because pretty often as you know when churches churches tend to fight anyway but when they're in between pastors that gets a little Hmm. heated let's say yeah uh and then the third week was, uh, what does the body do together? What is the ministry of the church, which is different than the mission of the church? The ministry of the church is, how do we behave as believers, uh, the family of God at home in our digs, let's say, which is a church building? And uh, what are the things that we should do and how, how does that operate? What does the Bible tell us about that? Because it spends a lot of time, especially in First Corinthians, going, you are behaving badly, children, and here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the uh, last week was um, evangelism. How, how, how are we ambassadors to the lost out in culture? Well, at the end of that, they said, you know, we need an interim pastor. Would you consider doing that? And I was, it's four hours for me. <laughs> but I talk with my wife. I talk with my pastor. I talk with our board of advisors. And they all basically agreed, yes, it's a church that supports you. Yes, they're on. They already know. That if someone comes up to you and says, Pastor, you offended me, you're going to look at them and go, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how I they're still on board with that. And and I love the people up there dearly. They just have a real heart and passion for God. So I am honored to fill in that position uh, in the interim. So. Yeah, it's been a blessing. Um, I love a lot of the people that go there. We're, we're not too far away from there. Uh, several years ago when uh, their previous pastor, Brian Matora, was uh, in the hospital or going in and out having some health issues. I was blessed to be able to be, be called on because I was pretty close by, and I was able to go uh, fill the pulpit for, uh, you know, probably off and on for a couple months. Um, and Brian came back, and now he, I think, is in the Chicago area. But um, what a, just uh, some dear people up there. And that talk about a place that really needs the truth to be bold and not just a watered-down gospel. That's a very touristy area, very kind of new-agey, religious pluralism in Sturgeon Bay. People come up from Chicago and Milwaukee, and summertime's a big uh, tourist place there. And, man, they, they need to be a strong church there, don't they? They do, yeah. And uh, it's a lighthouse, you know. We'll yes. see what happens, yeah. but it's been exciting. And Okay. Um, um, Don, you've got a great article on your website called Send in the Clowns, and that's— Part of what we're going to talk about today, um, I, your opening sentence, it is painful to watch what seems to be the collapse of Western culture. Now, we should define Western culture. I know you're going to, we're going to talk about lawlessness, and we've seen that just on steroids starting in the last uh, couple of years. But Western culture, we have to define that now as meaning maybe the, the North America, the biblical worldview. Can we, can we say that Western, the West means Christianity? Can we say that? Well, it was it was largely shaped by Christianity. That is the point. Mm-hmm. And it is not just North America, although that is encompassed in it. It is also uh, Great Britain. It is also large segments of Africa. It is uh, it's more far-reaching than, mm-hmm. in fact, uh, 
um, Vishal Mangawadi, who is uh, from India, and he's back in India right now, makes uh, essentially the same argument. And his whole point of education is it really began from Christianity to educate everybody. Mm. uh, And uh, it ought to go back to the church from K through university uh, schooling. And I, I tend to agree with him. Western culture, oddly enough, um, uh, Holland, uh, um, Tom Holland, historian and atheist, uh, came out with a book about two years ago now called Dominion uh, because he was surprised. As a historian, he went back to say, what is going on with this thing called Christianity? Hmm. And what he realized is if it weren't for Christianity, we would not have Western culture. We would not have the Judeo-Christian morality. Women would not be protected. Mm-hmm. Children would not be seen as special and protected. The family unit, as we know it, came from that view. If you go back into the first, second, third century, women were merely chattel, sexual objects pretty much, uh, to be used and tossed away if mm-hmm. uh, necessary. The only important aspect was uh, sexual gratification and producing offspring, which then the father could choose to keep or or have killed off uh, pretty easy. You didn't even have to have an abortion. You just did infanticide. Uh, Christianity changed all of that. Yes. And uh, brought us to the civilization we have enjoyed for 17 centuries now. Uh, but as you know, over the years, as you read, I've read our stuff, we have kept saying the time we live in is more like the first century than any time in between. Mm. We are shifting away from Judeo-Christian morals and ethics we are losing Western culture back to paganism. And so I have said it this way. It took 300 years for the church to transform civilization from paganism to a Judeo-Christian worldview. It has taken paganism about 200 years to return the favor. Mm. Um Joe, I was just thinking about something as you were talking. I think of Paul, was it in Acts 17 when he goes through Athens and he says, I see you are a very religious people. You even have an idol, uh, uh, an altar dedicated to uh, the unknown God. Is that Was that Acts 17? Acts 17, yep. Boy, do we see that today. But I, keep, I mean, religious pluralism here in America on steroids, and that has crept into the church, as uh, most of us, our listeners, are not surprised by that. But you make a point in the article Don, that even people that don't believe, even atheists, some, if they were honest, they would be shocked today by the collapse of Western cultures, morality and ethics. But you say that it's foreign to people who have lived long enough to remember when our nation cherished its ideals, our ideals of freedom based on American uh, justice and lawful order and uh, then watching the Christian church break from its moorings. So we're seeing the decay of culture, de- decline of culture because of these, you know, post-truth, all these things that are going on, moral relativism. But our concern for this podcast today and for our listeners is how it has seeped into the church, how and why, and what we can do about it. So let's continue to go through your article, but any point you would like to make on that? Well, I think one, and it's it's actually done near the bottom, as we lay out the case for where things are at, it is actually pretty biblical that what we see happening. We point out that it's not our focus, from a biblical standpoint, it's not our focus to fix the world. That's We're right. not called to fix the world. We're not called to Christianize our society. That's right. We are, and, and although we want to do that, we do, we're trying to do that oddly, oddly, oddly enough, because it would make us more comfortable in the world in which we live. Hmm. Um, Peter, in his epistle, goes on to uh, say that uh, those who slander us will be put to shame. How? By our good behavior. People are watching us. I have two things. We had an elder meeting last night. One of the elders asked me uh, relative to uh, uh, Crossroads, uh, what is your focuses? What are your two focuses? Uh, at the church. And I said, well, it's actually pretty simple. It is number one, context is king. Uh, uh, the a text without a context is a pretext. We recite that nearly every Sunday mm-hmm. before we even open up to see what is the Word of God telling us. Because if we don't have the historical grammatical context, we don't understand it That's very right. often. Second, 
You are always discipling. You are doing it well or you're doing it badly, but you're doing it because discipleship is simple. It is observation and imitation. You are being observed and people are imitating what you're doing and testing it out. When we are living in a world of non-believers, guess what? They are being discipled by our behavior. They are being discipled to the faith or being pushed away from the faith, but they're being discipled by how we behave. Mm. So our actions do speak, and of course, uh, our words better be in line with our actions and vice versa. Um, Don, you mentioned, uh, you alluded to the fact that, um, you know, salt and light are still very, very important. We're, that's what Jesus wanted us to be, called us to be. So when you say we are not, our focus should not be on fixing the world or Christianize, that doesn't mean we should back off of our influence, trying to influence the culture for Christ and biblical morality. Can you clarify? Well, absolutely. Uh, because That is a byproduct of living the Christian life. Right. If I truly am committed to the Lord and the things that are near to his heart, for example, how will that play itself out within the church? Well, it means I have to care for those that sometimes are irritating <laughs> and and care for them. It also means that those outside the church that come into my life, whether they're in my neighborhood, in my uh, community, in my state, I need to pray for them. If it's someone who is... Uh, lacking food we need to try to feed them why because that's what the lord would do uh there are things that we that we do that we do because of our love for the lord not for some other obtuse reason Mm. and we miss that so how is it that culture has transformed Uh, i can explain it this way because i've seen it happen in my life as i have worked with dealt with talked with non-believers they don't immediately come to the faith when I'm talking to them, usually it's usually a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what will happen is this one day they come to the Lord and the next week I'll be talking with them and they'll tell me, you know, I was sitting down at lunch with this guy at work and he's a mechanic and I was talking about the faith and, uh, and I told them X and he explained, and I look at him and I said, well, how did you, how did you know that? He said, I just remembered what you did. And I did that. So hmm. was he influenced for good in the culture the answer is yes Mm -hmm. how was he influenced he observed and imitated how i spoke what i thought how i lived how i treated others that impacted the first century second century pagan culture that can impact today's culture should we be pro life the answer is absolutely why because god is pro-life should we as citizens in the united states vote in certain ways based on that? The answer is yes. Why is that? Because we are the government. Mm. We tend to forget that. Yes. It isn't the people in Washington. They are our, this is a republic, not a democracy. They are hired to represent our ideas and our beliefs. They're not hired to just go off and do whatever they want. So uh, do those who are pro-abortion have a right to try to pass legislation in their favor? Of course, because guess what? They are part of the government. That's just how it works. In, uh, we've only got two minutes left in this segment, but in your article, you talk about a three-step process to a civilization's downfall, and you allude to Romans chapter 1. In step 1, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, the truth of God being God existing and then being the creator, and the denial of God's existence gives the illusion, you say, that humans are the highest evolved beings on the planet. And Don, when we come back from our break, we've got a minute here First, uh, we want to talk about how we can be so confused as a culture about what is male and what is female. It's, it's almost like there's a, there's this these blinders on. Um, we just had Laura Perry on. We replayed a podcast yesterday. She was a former transgender, and now she's, praise God, born again, a child of the living God. She's dedicated her life and ministry to Christ, but she went through all the procedures, all the psychological processes she needed to go through, the transitions, the surgeries, and there are many people like her that the media and our culture is not giving a voice to that have regret, sex change regret. or So, so we want to talk about that when we come back. Just Don, you mentioned Romans 1. We just want to tease this and set us up for the next uh, section of the podcast. Well, Romans 1, yeah, he, he kind of goes through the, through the three steps. They First of all, they gave up God. Uh, secondly, they gave into their passions. 
as a, a result of that. They gave and then God in turn gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done, Romans 1 28. So it's a downward spiral that basically says, God basically says this, okay, you want to live the way you want to live? Go for it. And they suffer the consequences of those actuals actions in this life as well as yes. in their final meeting with him face to face. Because for those who think that not all roads lead to God, uh, you and I have talked about this before, mm. in fact, all roads do lead to God. The question isn't getting there. The yeah. question is what happens at that meeting. Exactly. And we'll stop on that point. We'll pick it up when we come back. And yeah, they people say all pathways lead to God. Well, they indirectly, yeah, because God will judge. But uh, the destinations are not the same after that meeting with God. Don Vino, Midwest Christian Outreach, is our guest today. There's a conference coming up we want to tell you about when we come back. Also, continuing this article, Send in the Clowns and talking about the Barna survey of pastors lacking a biblical worldview, next. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. June 13th through the 17th, there is an online conference that you can attend called the Enneagram. What's true, what's false, and does it matter? Don Vino, would you like to describe a little bit what that's about? I would. The Enneagram, uh, we, and you and I have talked about this before on your show, the Enneagram is is uh, really transforming Christian theology around the world currently in, in some interesting and terrible heretical ways, I would suggest. Uh, and uh, so as we have pursued this, there's uh, well over 40 pro-Enneagram books by Christian publishers. We find it is in Baylor University, for example, offering a Enneagram certificate. Wow. Uh, so it's in Christian uh, seminaries and institutions. Uh, and it, churches are using it for you know, marriage seminars, for discipleship programs, for church membership. Pastors are using it as a nine-week preaching series. But it has its own distinctive theology. And so we did a book, as you are aware, uh, Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret, two years ago. Uh, and a newer book uh, by uh, a, a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Ren Cherry, has done a very good job. Uh, uh, the Enneagram, uh, Enneagram Theology, is it Christian? And uh, he goes through that. So what we determined is the, the rapid growth of this and up against a, a giant that's just sweeping through the church uh, is that we need to do an online event. And so we pulled together uh, Justin Peters uh, to deal with the question of is this sola scriptura or prima scriptura? Is it the Bible alone for faith and practice? Or is the Bible equal to or subservient to even other traditions and belief mm. systems? Uh, so that's one. Uh, Dr. Phil Roberts is dealing with the question of do all roads lead to God? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, uh, and uh, which of the Enneagram has nine paths to your true self. We have a former uh, a professional astrologer, a New Ager, Marsha Montenegro, who is one of the those who kind of been leading the uh, fight against these doctrines going into the church the way they are. Yep. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ron V. Huggins, who's great on church history, because the claim is this goes all the way back to the Desert Fathers, at least, which is absolutely not true, and he demonstrates that. So uh, it's uh, two, two sessions a night, Monday through Friday. Uh, the last session on Friday is a open Q&A, live Q&A, ask questions, and we'll have several of the, us on there to answer them. Uh, it is it is free. We look for donations to help us offset the cost of production. But this is so important to the body of Christ that we, as we prayed about it, we said, we just have to make it free for anybody who wants to attend. Go to EnneagramSecret.com, EnneagramSecret.com. Click on the link at the top about the conference, and you'll get right in there, and all the details are there. Great. You can also get to it by going to MidwestOutreach.org. And uh, how are you going to live stream? Well, there's the YouTube channel. There's your Facebook page, uh, Twitter, and a couple other options. But check that out. It's between June 17th. A AGTV. Don't forget AGTV. AGTV. All right. So June 13th through the 17th, you got some time to get that on your calendar and make a little note to yourself. 
Um, so, Don, it's just, it, I guess it shouldn't surprise me that uh, this has been in the churches for a while. I look, think of 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I think about some of these teachings and some of these, as Colossians 2.8 warns against worldly philosophies. Um, and so we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about scientism in a minute, but back to your article called Send in the Clowns, you then go to the next step downward, which is flagrant arrogance. And Romans 1, 23 starts off by saying, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then some of the most sobering words in Romans, in the Bible, I think, God gave them over or God gave them up. It repeats that three times. That's where we're at, not just in a culture or society, but that's in the church as well, isn't it? Well, it, it is. And um, as I look, as, I don't know if you, I think you've read our book on the Enneagram. As, as we deal with that, I go back all the way to the garden. And one of the points that I made, that we make in the book, <clears throat> we make in our articles continually, especially when we talk about what's going on with the church, is there has been a problem with the people of God from the beginning of partially listening to God, but then substituting their desires in place of what he has clearly stated. Uh, it happened with uh, Adam and Eve. It happened with the nation of Israel. It happened with the church in the first century. Most of the New Testament epistles, it's, it's amazing to me, most of the New Testament epistles were written to correct bad doctrine and bad behavior. This isn't shocking. <laughs> That's right. right? Yeah. When, when, when Jesus walked the planet, he was dealing with religious people who really knew the scriptures. The Pharisees had the Torah memorized, and yet they negated it, as Christ pointed out, for their own ideas. That's what we see going on in the church, unfortunately. Well, and the church, part of the, prod, the you know topic today is how the church has been susceptible to this compromise of our culture— and one of the things that we've seen that's right in front of our faces, whether that be on television, uh, through Hollywood, whether that be our own government, whether that be the public school system, which is also the government, or um, in other areas, is that the science and biology have been thrown out. You remove God, you remove the, the, the biblical worldview, and then, okay, there's, are there any truths left? Is it, whether it was science and biology, now they're thrown out. Males and females are completely subjective categories. They're fluid now based on personal desires. But, Don, people are fighting for this as if it's true. They're, they're defending this. So it, it, for, for a lot of people listening right now, they're wondering, how the heck did we get here so quickly? Oh, uh, well, they're going to be disappointed with my answer. It wasn't. <laughs> quick it is just that you're it just seems. now realizing it mm, imagine yeah. yourself when if you go to a play i don't know the nutcracker suite for example uh and you arrive and you take your seat and you notice the curtains are moving a little bit uh and then the curtain goes up and the play begins what you don't think about is the there was a great deal of time and preparation prior to lifting the curtain mm. invested in writing the script getting the actors, rehearsing all of the sequences and scenes and music and all of that sort of stuff, uh, deciding what theater it's going to be in, advertising it, and then everyone arrives and the curtain goes up and it begins. Mm -hmm. Everything was in place before the curtain went up. Here's what happened. All of this has been in progress. We and others have been writing about it for at least three decades, some for a You can go back a century to find it Yeah, uh, being discussed. Uh, 1923... Uh, Machen's book, uh, uh, Christianity and Liberalism. Yes, it's, yes. was going on then. Mm -hmm. Great. I highly recommend that book. It's a classic and things have not changed. What happened is uh, with uh, Barack Obama elected as president, the curtain was rising. When COVID hit, it completely went up. And mm. now we see wow. everything that was already underway being played out. So, and you're absolutely correct. I kind of set you up with a softball there. Um, because yeah. yeah, it's gradualism. The left is very good at being patient, and this goes back to Antonio Gramsci, who um, you know said America could, or the West could never be conquered militarily. They're too strong for that. We were too strong for that. But 
gradualism by influencing, infecting, infesting, you know, the the uh, major institutions in America over time, over generations would be that long progressive march by the left. And man, I mean, I hate to say it. He uh, and others were prophetic, but he, I think that was in the late 1800s when Gramsci wrote the prison notebooks, wasn't it? Yeah, uh-huh, it was, yeah. Wow. Uh, and then you have John Dewey, 1930s, who largely yes. shaped the public school system to transform civilization was his idea. It wasn't about education. It was transforming civilization, and he, too, was a Marxist, though. So. Yep. I wish more people would understand that. Um, you know, a lot of, yeah, anyway, we can't go back and beat a dead horse. We've talked about, we've had education experts, you know, on this. We've done dozens of podcasts about this, the history, how we got here. It's just for the education part of it. But uh, here we are, Don, with the transgender, you know, ideology, the gender surrender, as some people would say. And yet Christians are the ones said to be anti-science. This leads into, and I want to tease a brand new article that just came out. Uh, called Scientism, a New Religious Movement. Give us a few bullet points on that. I know we've already alluded to a couple, but uh, give us a couple bullet points on this uh, in your new new article over at MidwestOutreach.org. Yeah, one, one of the things that you, that you mentioned just a minute ago uh, as we're talking about gender fluidity, for example, is you mentioned is we seem to be, uh, we took science out of the school system. Uh, we have, in many ways, taken what, what what is called the natural sciences out of public usage on these kinds of topics. Hmm. Now, why is that? Because natural sciences would look and say, okay, males and females are determined by certain markers and uh, things like that. XY chromosome versus XX chromosome. Uh, there are certain physical characteristics, and there are also some differences in the brain. Uh, not not differences about intelligence per se, but other kinds of differences. There's differences in how we relate to one another. Uh, men, by nature, tend to be task. Uh, what do they call them? You know, hunt, hunter killers. Uh, uh, we're task oriented. We go mm -hmm. out and conquer stuff. That's what we do. Women, by nature, tend to be the ones who create relationships. They hold the families together. They. My wife made sure that my that my mother got a Mother's Day card every year and a birthday card every year. Not that I didn't love my mother, but just a relational <laughs> thing. You see, mm. there's there's just differences, and uh, that's kind of sociological and natural sciences. You can deal with that. So how do they deal with that? Well, that they brushed science aside and introduced scientism. Mm. Scientism is a belief system that is not rooted in science, but sometimes appeals to science as though it authenticated what it is that they're claiming. When in fact, many times science refutes what they are claiming. It's exactly. And um, it's, it's, it's just astounding that a lot of people have, they, they don't think through these things. They, they have, even they don't reason or they don't have the ability to critically think about this. Because once you reject God in the Bible, then you've got to just reason. And then you've got to say, okay, why, why isn't this based on science or biology? And they, people don't ask those questions and, and ask, wait a minute, what about DNA? What about these, these things, the evidence? They get away from the evidence and um, that takes us to where we are today. Um, the article is called Scientism, a New Religious Movement, and it is religion. You know, sex has been a religion or a cult, some might say, in uh, America for quite some time. The, the religion of sex and the sexual revolution that has gone to the, the ends that we find it today. But back to the biblical foundation, we have to remember that this is now an issue where it's gotten to the churches, and it should never have been left in the doors. We shouldn't have given the enemy a foothold. Um, Don, how has it crept in to the church? We understand uh, unbelievers are going to live a certain way. They're going to have these philosophies, worldly philosophies. We understand how culture and society can can crumble or decay by certain, you know, beliefs and certain falsehoods. And but but in the church. Uh, you alluded to it a little bit ago. This battle has gone on for a hundred years. When they dropped, yeah. they, the the debate was inerrancy, the inerrancy of scriptures, and so many other things. Modernism came into play, but in the church today, I guess the question is not how it got there, 
but how can we be more discerning and speak to these things when we see them? Well, e even how that got there does play a role. For example, evangelicalism was kind of birthed in uh, 1947, uh, Harold Ockengay and Park Street Church. And they sort of struck a deal at that time that kind of went like this with liberal liberalism. And it said, we will call you Christian if you will call us smart. <laughs> now, they didn't put it in those terms, but that's functionally how it works. We will call you Christian if you will call us smart. What was going on is a desire to be embraced and accepted by their acad academic peer group who weren't Christians. And uh, the, the idea was, well, we can evangelize them that way. The problem is, you tend to become whatever it is you pursue the most. And so in that case, what happened is evangelicalism, which I think had a, had a good start initially. I understand what they were trying to do. Yes. I think the churches have followed that all the way down. How so? Well, Willow Creek Community Church pops up. What is one of the first things they decide? We don't want to offend non-believers. Why? Because they have this idea that the task of the church is to get unbelievers inside the door so they can sneak up on them with the gospel. It's kind of a multi-level marketing plan for Jesus, if you will. And so you invite your friends. You're not really prepared to share the gospel, but they have a professional presenter like any good multi-level marketing organization would have. You get your friends to come to hear the secret message from the multi-level marketing for Jesus guy. Uh, and then you too can be in the downline. It kind of works that way. So what do they do? They eliminate any Christian symbology and tradition. Why? That might offend an unbeliever. Hmm. So as you follow that process, and it happened with Saddleback the same way, yeah. as you follow that process, you were so engaged with not offending unbelievers, you begin becoming more like them. Hmm. And that's compromise, that's conforming to the world, which the Bible warns against. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's Romans 12, 2. And so let's transfer, let's transition, I should say, to this next article and just briefly talk about the uh, lacking biblical worldview today. We understand society is uh, really, it's, that's really dismal, between a two and a four or a six at highest I've seen of biblical worldview in our culture and our society among people. But in the church now, this recent Barna survey came out and surveyed pastors. And so, yes, you, you understand correctly that there is a, I believe, 37% uh, biblical worldview. Um, Don, I know if, uh, you, when you saw this, it was probably maybe a little surprising that it was that low for pastors. Just overall, your, your, your first thoughts on this before we continue. My first thought was not surprised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though it was that low. Not I, I yeah not surprised not mm. surprised I didn't because uh, David he, my area of ministry is supposed to be cult, a missionary to cults and non Christian religions unfortunately probably fifty or sixty percent of our time in recent years has been dealing with helping those who are transitioning out of the new age mm -hmm. or out of the new apostolic reformation and trying to find a church. And do you know how hard it is to find a church that actually gets up week after week, opens the Bible to the book they're going through, mm -hmm. and starts with the verse they left off last week and continues on? It is almost non-existent yes, today. Yes, I know that, and our listeners know that very well. A majority of people, they, they, they contact us, and they say, where can we find a biblical, a Bible-believing church, sound doctrine, ex- expository teaching and that's not afraid to tackle the old testament bible prophecy the issues of the day by the way i just want to quote jesus he says the world cannot hate you but it hates me because i testify about it that its deeds are evil are we to point to the deeds the culture and expose the darkness well when it threatens the church and creeps in we have to more with don vino coming up on stand up for the truth keep it right here Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Don Vino is our guest today, Midwest Christian Outreach. You know, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. And, you know, we used to say in the 80s or 90s, WWJD, what would Jesus do? 
There you go. He said, I testified to the world that its deeds are evil. And yet some people in churches say you shouldn't talk about culture or government or politics or Hollywood or these other things. They are unbelievers. They don't know what they're doing anyway. You shouldn't point to that. Well, the Bible says expose the deeds of darkness have nothing to do with them, but expose them. That's what we're doing today, especially when it threatens the church. Before we go on with Don, remember the Enneagram Conference, June 13th through 17. Don, where, the best website again to uh, get information on the online conference? Well, there's two. Uh, you can go to enneagramsecret.com, and there's a link you can click on there. Or you could go to midwestoutreach.org. And uh, one of the little slides will pop up and you click on that about the Enneagram Conference and it'll take you there. Uh, and all of the sessions are laid out, the times are laid out, who's speaking, their bios, all that stuff is on there. Uh, and again, it is uh, um, a gift to the body of Christ to help them to be aware. If they care to mm -hmm. donate and support the effort, we welcome that. But the goal is to help educate the body of Christ because someone they know is involved in this. That's right. That's right. So uh, to move on now, we're going to talk about Jude in, in a minute uh, briefly, but you wrote uh, the pastor's task, and we're talking about the biblical worldview of those who claim the name of Christ, who are church leaders in America. The pastor's task is twofold. One, to guard the flock from false teachers invading the flock or arising with within and infecting the flock, and number two, to teach, train, and equip the saints, to equip the flock to do the work of ministry, and together fulfill the ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ. So the mission of the Church is the proclamation of the gospel and to guard against false teachers. Uh, Don, I think we've gotten a little away from that, especially according to uh, Barn and what we're learning now, and uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, we're, we're in pretty sad shape, aren't we? Well, we, we are, <clears throat> because, and, and largely, as, as we have talked before, largely because the role of the pastor has been redefined by whom? By marketers, largely. Uh, and uh, he is now the CEO, the head of a corporation, mm. and his task is to broaden the market base to bring in more nickels and noses, more seats and pews, and hopefully more monetary uh, uh, investment from them into the church. Mm. Now, more people is fine. We see in Acts 2, for example, 3,000 were added to the church. That's great. But we also noticed that the point was the proclamation of the gospel. Yes. Yeah, 3,000 came to the faith. How many rejected it? Mm. A way more rejected it. That's a good point. <laughs> so, Don, Don, my um, my reaction would be to, to think what, what some people are thinking, some Christians out there are going, well, wait a minute. Could you please explain what's wrong with trying to attract the world, trying to attract people, like you said, nickels and noses, I understand that, get get people in the door, get you know butts in the seats. What's wrong with trying to get more people drawn to your church? Uh, what's wrong with it is uh, I would suggest uh, the wrong question. You can ask that question. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm saying if it detracts, that's where we're at. Okay, well, methodology. You're talking about methodology, correct? You're talking about methodology. If it detracts from the, the ministry of the church and replaces it with the mission of the church, because that's what we're really talking about here. Hmm. The ministry of the church is one thing. What does the body of Christ do when they gather together? We have that all through Scripture. Almost every book of the Bible talks about how believers are to act as the family of faith together, uh, care for one another, pray for one another, uplift one another, provide for the physical needs of one another. All of those things uh, are, are about that. Disciple one another by your behavior and your words. What is the mission of the church? It is a proclamation of the gospel. Where? Outside the doors of your church. Mm -hmm. Now, should the gospel be uh, be available in the church? Of course it should. Uh, someone uh, mentioned the other day uh, uh, to our, our, the elders at Crossroads that they were concerned that uh, the gospel isn't to present it every week. And they looked at him cross-eyed and said, what are you talking about? Uh, because it is present in this word. Yes. And so as you come across it, it comes out. Mm. Yes, it's in the church. But the gospel proclamation is primarily to who? Non-believers, where do they live? Outside the church. That's where they're at. So here's Jude, 
who was the half-brother of Jesus, who in the Gospel of John chapter 7, uh, it clearly says James and Jude, Jesus' half-brothers, didn't even believe in him. They were miraculously converted, and that was probably after seeing the resurrected Christ. And Jude, protecting the church, says, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt it necessary to ask you to contend for the faith, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time handed down for the saints. And then he says, why? In verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, and those are people who turn the grace of God into indecent behavior. Don, that is one role of the pastor that we don't see as often as we'd like to see, that, that uh, passion to protect, to be a truth defender, protect Jesus, his church, his people. Right. And right. And that and that is that's his primary obligation. It's like if you think about it as a family, which is what we're talking about. We're family. How, mm-hmm. how, how do you become family? Well, there's two ways. I have I have two kids and three grandkids and I have a wife. You become family one in one of two ways or by both ways. Either it is by blood. You're born into the family or it is by adoption. I, my wife and I married, we essentially adopted each other's families. So when we come into the family of God, guess what? You are born by blood, Christ's blood, into the family, and you are adopted by God into Christ's family. And so that, with that being kind of a base to, talk, to work from, the task of the pastor is to guard the family. Hmm. You know, you need stranger danger signs up on your windows so that people are aware that there's prowlers out there that are trying to steal your faith. And unfortunately, too many churches are not doing that. Mm. Well, the problem is, I think the biblical, the general, I'm generally saying in in some, maybe a lot of churches, but some, there's this level of biblical illiteracy where people don't know the Word of God as well as they could or should because maybe it's not being preached from the pulpit, and they're not really discerning, so they're not— Progressive Christianity, and I know that's an oxymoron, but this, this, you know, surrenders the authoritative truth of the Bible, and it affects your beliefs and liberalizes your worldview, and it confuses a lot of people, and that's what's going on in a lot of churches. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're absolutely right, and and most of the calls I get, I have, I, I have. There's a couple of people that call me like every day, and 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 that's okay yeah. because here's what they're doing. They call me, they go, "Okay, I'm reading this passage, and I'm a little confused." And depending on where we're at on our discipleship, let's say, uh, sometimes they'll call me and they'll go, "You know, I called you about this, but as I'm reading the context, I get it. Mm. <clears throat> they were never taught that before, and so." My standard thing is when I'm first contacted by somebody about this, I will say, okay, repeat after me. A text without a context is a pretext. And then we look at the context, not only of the direct uh, statement uh, and, and the paragraph it's in and the chapter it's in and the book it's in and the right, but when was it written? How would the readers have understood it? All those things come into play and we can get a lot of history. And after several months of doing that, they can literally pick up any book in the Bible and almost every time, not all, all every time, but almost every time, the plain meaning is clear when you read it. Mm. Why is it that most Christians are not equipped to do that? Because the leadership of the church is not teaching it. Yes, yes. And that's what we're struggling with here in America with this lack of biblical worldview, not just among the congregants, but among leadership. Don, we have five minutes left. I I want to talk briefly about youth pastors. It's well known that a young person's worldview primarily develops before their teenage years. Now, sometimes it gets refined a little bit when they get into their 20s, but it develops a worldview of young people, develops before they're teenagers. So we've got youth pastors in this new survey um, it's, this is alarming. Only 12% of children's pastors or youth pastors today have a biblical worldview because they've been told they're supposed to be like babysitters or entertainers. They're supposed to just occupy the kids and maybe you know have them play fun games when they come to youth group. I know some churches do it right and really focus on discipleship, but obviously 
most are not getting it. So your thoughts, and do you have a solution for this, for youth pastors? Well, I think the solution is more than youth pastors, although they are included. And as we look at these statistics in here, you see less than one-third of associate assistant pastors, 28%, have a biblical worldview. Wow. Teaching pastors, 13%. Youth pastors, 12%. Uh, not long ago, Willow Creek Community Church was looking for a new pastor, and in the criteria that he must meet it said no biblical training necessary what that should be yes that should be a scary oh tip my, off. well willow creek of course you know that's so not surprising. yeah so when you ask this question about the the youth and the youth pastor i'm going to suggest something most everyone you and i and the youth in your church develop our worldview by what by osmosis i would suggest it filters into our brain from where the material we read, the people we hang around with and observe uh, and learn from, that includes youth pastors. Should they have a biblical worldview? Yes. Where would they get it from? The people they hang around with, the books they read, and how they are trained. Mm. So if they are not biblically trained, right. what do they have to pass on to the youth? Yeah. Wow. We've gotten so far away from biblical discipleship, and I think we've... <laughs> We've been saying this. I know you've been saying it in a way for years. We've got to get back to the basics here, and it's, and it's sad, yes. but we've got to do this. Kind of like the, the end of Hebrews 5, beginning of Hebrews 6. We've got to get past the elementary teachings, you know, and then Paul says, well, we'll go there if we have to, if we have to <laughs> refresh your memories. But it's so important. Don, we've got two minutes left. Um, we're not going to solve the world's problems. We're not going to solve the church's problems here on a podcast or even in one church or uh, conversation, but th these are important things to address because we're talking about the the future of the church, the health of the Christian church, and discernment. So, uh, brother, um, thank you for doing what you do. Would love for you to just encourage our listeners and the the Christian remnant who are listening right now uh, and where we're at, and uh, just how to proceed, especially if they're going to a church that their pastor is not doing the job. A anyone has questions or even complaints? I'm good with complaints. Sometimes people will contact me and go, you are mean, and my response is canned. You'll love it. You could be right, and I could be short and fat as well. A lot of things I could be. I could give you my kids' phone numbers, and they could tell you really bad things about me. The question is, <laughs> am I wrong? Hmm. Are you wrong? So is that, that an apologetic you're leaving us with, just food for thought? That is food <laughs> for thought. All so right, if brother. your pastor gets irritated with what I just said, have them contact me. I'd love to talk with them. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you for your work. Midwest Christian Outreach. It's midwestoutreach.org, friends. Remember that free conference on June 13 through the 17, uh, kicked off, I believe, by Justin Peters. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. He's first awesome. up. Saw the schedule there. So, Don, thank you. Uh, it's been a blessing. We'll continue to uh, hash out these issues and hopefully continue to strengthen and encourage and build the body and the remnant. Uh, God bless you, brother. Thanks for what you do. All right, blessing to you. All right, tomorrow we've got Jonathan Brentner on the podcast. Talk about some uh, power-packed articles he's written. Uh, we'll get into that. If he's, of course, we'll talk about one of his books as well that we didn't get to last time. So Jonathan Brentner tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. Guys, thank you for uh, just hanging in there with us. I know we talk about a lot of hard topics and important things, but uh, let's face them with the courage and the strength of Christ and uh, with our foundation rooted in the Word of God. Um, God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>